Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is episode 39 and tonight we're going to be looking at the rather raunchy Naked Weapon. Uh, we're also going to be revealing the results of the uh, Kaiju Christmas 2019 poll as well as the also the uh, feedback on uh, what happened when we went in search of Region 2 editions of Ultraman and Ultra Q. Uh, all that coming up but before we get into that, it's of course uh, time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, has anything been holding your interest at all since the last episode? So yeah, no, normally I, I come on and I say, "Oh, I haven't had time to watch anything." <laughs> but I, I went, I went out of my way, and I, um, I had a look at a film that's been on my watch list for a little while. Although yeah. it's a film from this year, um, it's a Singaporean film. If that's if that's the correct. Um, that's the correct descriptive noun for, for a film from Singapore. Um, it called A Revenge of the Pontianak. Um, now, I'm guessing that... I don't, I'm sure you've come across Pontianak films before. They're quite a common um, monster in uh, sort of the Muslim-majority Asian countries, Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia. Um, and so, so you know, they make thousands of these things, or they have done over the years. Um, so basically, a Pontianak is the ghost of a woman who has died in childbirth. And normally, what happens is, is that you know, it, it's it's your classic vengeful female ghost um, who you know who, who feels wronged, and she and she rains down misery on those that she deems that's wronged her. Um, so this is a this is a modern retelling, although it is set apparently in 1965. I'm not sure how you'd know that but <laughs> that's what it says here um uh but it's kind of interesting so, so firstly it's it's because it's from singapore you don't get that many films from singapore but normally they are have very good production values as indeed this does so it looks great the acting so so but i guess what makes it kind of unique i mean i haven't seen every uh pontianak film ever in the world but um what kind of makes it unique is that it's very sympathetic to our she monster um and what you and and it sort of turns expectations so basically there's a there's a there's a village 1965 man ostensibly our hero is getting married to what is clearly his second wife but it's never made terribly clear but he has a young son from a previous wife um all going well and and then a couple of his friends turn up and there's obviously some bit of history there and then people start dying basically his two friends and the holy man in the village um starts saying oh something's you know there's a bad juju going on here and they start blaming it on the new wife however what turns out is that this is that this is a pontianac and the people we maybe thought were heroic and nice people have a bit of a dark past. And what it basically is, it's not, it's not, it's not really a feminist retelling of the Pontianak story, but it's a very, um, it, it's a much more sympathetic telling of the story. Um, and, you know, when I talked about a wronged female ghost, normally that's with a, a bit of a hey-ho attached to it. But here something quite dark happens to her and the revenge is almost... Um, supportable and it ends a little bit differently than than this normal sort of movie so yeah it's 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 not fantastic um looks great um acting so so but it's kind of interesting because at least people are trying a slightly different more modern more modern takes on uh, some of these classic monster characters 
Very cool. It's certainly... I don't think I've actually watched any Singaporean cinema. I think that's certainly one of those grey areas, but it constantly surprised me where cinema comes from these, these days. It's really... The floodgates have been uh, open pretty wide now as to what sort of cinema you can watch from from pretty much anywhere, and certainly it's something that's only improved with the likes of Netflix really getting behind the import and promotion of foreign cinema, as we've seen with things such as like such as like The Wandering Earth and um, the Ray Desker, The Night Contours. So it's been interesting, obviously, seeing the films that have sort of been picked up and what's uh, coming across so hopefully as we go into 2020 that only sort of continues and that we continue this I don't want to call it like a second wave because it never really sort of tapered off the interest in foreign cinema once we had that like initial revolution back in like like 2000-2001 it's sort of been pretty steady and I don't uh, want to say it's sort of like a second wave because it just as I said it's just We've seemed to have just continuously had interest in cinema coming through. It just seems that what's been sort of like the top of the pile of sort of like the interest of being like the martial arts side or being the horror side has sort of like uh, differed depending on what's coming out. And certainly I think as we go into 2020, I think we're certainly going to see more horror coming across as we've got like the sequel to Train to Busan coming out. And, um, and if it, it's just those sorts of films that seem to be at the sort of top of the pile when it's coming when we're looking at what's coming out in the coming year. I don't know about yourself, Stephen, there's anything sort of coming up that you're very sort of excited about at all, or...? Um, oh, you caught me out here. No, I don't think there's anything I'm particularly looking forward to. I, I mean, I, I get, I'm surprised why my to-watch pile is so far behind me. It's, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the very thought of looking forward terrifies me. It's, um, it certainly does. It's certainly yeah. like when everyone's like, oh, we're doing the end of the decade list. And I'm just looking at my phone and like, I've still got a fair bit of this decade to watch. Never mind looking forward to uh, the, the next decade. And it's sort of like you always just fear that if I do my end of decade list and that's something in the watch pile that I may think should have been that top 10. So it's been kind of like yourself. It's a bit of a mad rush to watch everything at the minute. Yeah. I mean, the two other, the two sites I'm sort of working with, both are going through this, the sort of the, the film of the 2010s and I've declined to take part in either of them because, you know, I've got films from five years ago. I haven't watched yet. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, and, 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 yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that kind of list anyway. Um, I don't, I don't understand what difference it makes, what year it was made in, if yeah. it's either good or it's bad. But um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of it going on at the moment. Um, usually it's film of the year, but now yeah, it's the film of the 2010s, um, of which we've had, yeah, we've had some great ones in Asian cinema. But uh, turning it down to ten films, I think, is a bit ridiculous. So I, I don't take part. Yeah, it's it's always the the fear though, isn't it? As I say, it's just that if you even we try to like narrow it down to the station cinema, you know there'll be something that you miss just because you, it's so impossible to see everything, unless you're like one of those hip independent types who can just like sit around and watch films all day. Then perhaps you you can like give a more sort of rounded view. But um, I mean, have Eastern Kicks put out their top picks of the year, or are we still waiting on that one? To come um... out? It, it, it'll be coming out fairly soon. The, um, the, the, there's been a lot of debate in the background, back and forth, um, but that, that, that'll be out before the end of the year. Very exciting stuff. Um, was there anything else at all, was it? No, I think I think that's it in the last fortnight. Um, okay. I'll say that and I'll think about, I'll remember something else. But no, I think um, mostly it's been um, 
it's been uh, TV show catching up, which uh, is is another constant challenge. I mean, yeah, I don't know how people do it with and hold down a full time job. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Watchmen has just been all consuming right now. Never mind anything else. It's just uh, going back in because the first time I watched Watchmen, I got a bit lost, so I had to go back and start over again. So it's sort of like put everything else on the back burner, all like, you know, the Dragon Ball Z and the One Piece and Fist of the North Star rewatching. It's all just gone on the back piece. And I, I say going into 2020, I'm just going to try and watch more anime and try and, you know, scratch off some of these series that I'm way behind on. But at the moment, it seems like I just got all these odds and sorts of series that I'm partway through. Like I watched a bit of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which I'm really enjoying. I'm watching a bit of One Piece and um, I'm about 27 episodes into Dragon Ball Z. So there's only like only 230 of those to, to watch. So, uh, yeah, we're really chipping away at that one for sure. It's like trying yeah, it's to... like our friends over at, at Brave Blade Looking Thieves. I don't know how they handle it. Oh they my to, god! They'd be on top of hundreds of shows, and I'm thinking I can't commit to one. I, I think I, I think one of my New Year's resolutions will be commit to a single anime show that I will watch from beginning to end, and it won't be Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> but I'll pick something with thirty to forty to fifty episodes, and I will, I will, I will invest a year in that. That will be my challenge. Okay. I've got some stuff I can recommend you, so we'll sort that out for you. Yeah. Or you but, uh, just, just one. Just the one. <laughs> well, Crunchyroll did obviously release the best top anime of the decade, so it's kind of really nice to see Bungo Stray Dogs making the list, along with Food Wars, obviously, being in there as well. So you look for the list, and it's sort of like, it just gives you an idea of just how varied anime has become from like when I obviously got into anime. It was all very much sort of like sci-fi and action and demons and gore and violence. And now it's really kind of varied. It's such a varied field. And some of these titles I look at it, it's sort of like I really could not see myself sitting down and watching like 12 episodes of of that and it's also fun to see like the trends that come across because whereas before it used to be very much like you know the 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 girl going off to fight fantastical monsters now we have like the loser guy going off into fantastical he's like joining for modern day into sort of video game or fantasy worlds to suddenly become the old conquering champion as that seems to be like the current fantasy for this current generation of anime fans and you see it time and time again and especially with like the fantasy anime that everything seems to be treated like a video game it's all about leveling up and you get experience points rather than just like you you earn skills by doing things uh which is really kind of bizarre to see it's when all fantasy is being treated is this idea of like leveling up and gaining experience points for things so something that did appeal to me greatly though uh on netflix is the documentary i'm fierce and kung fu kicks directed by sergio it's an australian documentary from this year and it uh, looks at the history of kung fu movies from you know the likes of shaw brothers and golden harvest right up to modern day and the likes of obviously the night comes for us and the raid and uh sort of like the indonesian film industry and even like the African film industry, which it bizarrely remarks as being the future when they talk about where the next sort of wave is going to come from. And I had to sort of seriously doubt that, but, you know, each to their own when it comes to opinions. But really interesting documentary, and it's one that I was sort of, like, reminded was on there by uh, Eastern Movie Eastern movie Drifter uh, up on the Instagram, and 
I have to agree with that point in the fact that it feels very much like Gone to Pieces, The Rise and Fall, the slasher movie, uh, that documentary where you feel like you're watching a series that's been sort of hacked down into a feature film. And it's a real sort of shame. And I kind of hope that this documentary like really gets some sort of momentum and that Netflix decide to give them some money just so they can expand it out into a series because there's so many topics that they cover because they basically tried to cover gives you a bit of everything so you not only get as i said you get like the popular stuff like the shaw brothers and like what how they their stuff compared to like golden harvest and what like the different eras of of uh history sort of did to affect it such so as like what how 70s kung fu compared to like kung fu the 80s um and obviously like the hollywood effect and just any of these sort of subjects you could like break off and turn into like a little 30 minute episode 60 minute episode whatever you wanted to do and it's great the fact that they cover like even like such as obscure little subjects such as like bruce exploitation uh the movies that were made to sort of cash in on bruce lee's legacy and they interview like a whole range of like noteworthy people i mean you've got cynthia rockart you've got don don the dragon wilson you've got stock footage from like samuel hung and jackie chan and bruce lee you've got directors such as brian trenchard smith and hip-hop artists like fab five freddy so it's just like this whole range of people like both fans practitioners and obviously legends of the industry that are just being interviewed and giving their sort of thoughts on the genre and it's just a really fascinating documentary not only if you're like a established fan but if you're a newcomer as well there's plenty there to enjoy and it should hopefully provide you with a bit of a watch list of what to check out next so that would be my strong recommendation for this period anyway so yeah sounds interesting i'll check that out but like you say i i, I feel it's it's a long enough and wide enough genre to warrant deeper longer longer exploration i think like you say yeah i mean we've uh, even on our show i mean we've sort of only just sort of paddled around in in what what's out there for it so no I, I, absolutely um yeah and, and you know and, and there's more to it than bruce lee and jackie chan i think that's the important thing isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Neither of neither of whom we've covered yet. I know. I have actually got um, plans for both. I've got ideas of what how we, for what films to cover for both of them and people that we may bring on for them as well. Because um, I know that Lackey was saying that he's never seen a Jackie Chan movie, and it's like, oh my god, I still want to show you Please Story and just like have someone who's never seen Please Story and just get that sort of fresh take on um, because as I say, so it's like. If we asked a comic, look for a comic book fan who's not seen The Dark Knight, it'd be a really sort of tricky thing to do. And I think that finding someone mm. who hasn't seen Police Story is is sort of another one of those things as well. And and and, and Police Story, I, I I used to have this real thing about Jackie Chan. I I didn't get it because I'd only ever seen like interviews with him and stuff like that. Yeah. and I just don't get it. And and now I now I can't stand the man for other reasons. But <laughs> Police Story, Police Story was my introduction to jackie chan and i got it you know i i understood with that film what everybody loves about him yeah that and um i want to say drunken master okay um yeah one of those two but but police story has a sort of a modernity to it and you're not you're not having to worry about historical figures and, and strange stuff it, it it's you know it's 1990s Hong Kong and <laughs> it's, it's a fairly easy thing to understand and then you see the stunts and you understand 
the humour and the personality and all that kind of thing, and you wrap that film up with a couple of other stars that you can, you know, some, a couple of big female stars there as well. So, you, so it's a good introduction to, to that that sort of golden age, that second golden age of Hong Kong cinema as well. So yeah, we we must do that and and introduce Lackey to it. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's kind of brings me back again to the the documentary when they're talking about the stunt work in in Hong Kong, where stuntmen are kind of expendable, and they like talk about the scene in like Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, where someone has got the two tennis rackets. And Richard Norton's like, you know, those weren't bolster tennis rackets; those were proper tennis rackets that he's beating up stuntmen with. And it's kind of like your initiation into the stuntman brotherhood in Hong Kong that you have to basically have the seven shades beaten out of you. And uh, Cynthia Rockard, she was like saying that she went, she came over, she was like doing movies in Hong Kong, and she like goes to the doctors, and it's like, oh, you've rejiggled your organs, and then she go back to Hollywood, and it's like, yeah, can you stop punching stuntmen so hard? So it's a real, completely different world, especially when it comes to how, like, health and safety, especially. And we look at that that uh, opening chase sequence with the bus in Police Story, and with the two stuntmen fall out the front of the bus window. They were supposed to land on the car, but instead they land on hard concrete from a top of a double-decker bus. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the approach to health and safety, to testing and planning, um, just in general in Hong Kong cinema in that period was quite different. Um, You know, I think we've spoken before how... Uh, they, some, sometimes they sort of wake up in the morning and they say, right, we're going to do this today. And they just kind of make it up on the fly <laughs> or they see something. I mean, I mean it's, it's a little more to it than that. But I suspect things in Hollywood, which would take four weeks of planning, take four hours of planning in in that era of um, Hong Kong. Cinema. And obviously, um, you know, the, the old Jackie Chan movies make a... There's a whole period of them where you get you get to see the, uh, the full... Uh, bangs and smashes during the end credits as well and you just think oh my god <laughs> how's he still alive <laughs> it's funny you should say that because we just covered martial law over on tv good sleep bad um this is how i got into this conversation with lackey that he'd never seen police story because we're watching uh martial law and obviously martial law samuel hung's tv show he did over in america Ooh. and they show the the outtakes of the of the pilot episode and it shows like you know samo kicks some guy into a car window screen and he's sort of like <laughs> they're crippled and uh another guy gets hit by a car and you just see like someone just walks to the camera and just waves and it just ends it's sort of like oh nobody's gonna go and help that guy then it's no this <laughs> is a wild west out there yeah it's a, a, a different world and 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 so what and what my, and part of what made that 10, 15, 20 years of cinema so great was that kind of gonzo approach to it and you know, I don't want to come over all health and safety gone mad and sound like a Daily Mail reader, but uh, I think I think something has been lost. Um, but then again less people have probably died or been crippled for life or whatever, so you know, swings, roundabouts. Cool. Um, now on the last episode we were having a little talk about the distribution should we say of uh the new ultraman and ultra q sets and we would as i said we were in a bit of a a quandary really because it's it was a uk company handling the distribution and we were not getting 
any sets over here. It was all Region 1 releases uh, through Indigo Entertainment. And, you know, we were going to send Stephen out there to do his Nick Broomfield thing and, you know, get some answers. And we sent them out an, an email and we pestered them on Instagram and all the usual platforms. And uh, we did actually get a response, which is really exciting. And uh, they have said that it is in the planning and, you know, the hoping to have some release soon. So what... I would urge all the UK Kaiju fans and all the Tokusatsu fans over here in the UK to do is to really get onto Indigo Entertainment and where you see them talking about these sets, being on Facebook or Instagram or just message them directly through their website, um, just let them know that you're in the UK and you want Region 2 releases for these sets because otherwise we're going to get messed around with trader prices and, you know, the hassle of importing stuff, which we've said before, you know, you pay not only for the item, but then you often pay customs again for the item. So it'd be really great if, you know, we just come together as a community and just let them know how much these sets are, are wanted over here because I know that I would really love to get hold of the Ultra Q sets especially and they've just never had the releases and we've seen, obviously with the Godzilla um, collection that came out through Criterion, that we have a demand for this uh, set. And I'm really hoping that Criterion as well do the other eras for Godzilla. Um, Arrow, the same week that we got the release of the Godzilla collection, have announced that they're going to be releasing in 2020 the Gamera collection. So we just... <laughs> I know <laughs> that's my favorite. <laughs> as soon as they announced, as soon as they announced that, it was sort of like I've really got to start saving again because Arrow don't do the sort of pre-orders where you you pay after it's sent out. They do the you pay us before we send it. You um, you have to pay as soon as you pre-order, which is a real pain. But uh, that's another really nice set because if you look at some of the the films on Amazon, they're going for silly prices. I mean, the Gamma, the Godzilla set is currently, there's traders on there asking for about £280 for a £150 set. You can also, you can still get it on zoom.co.uk, which seems to be like the only retail that still has it at the moment. So if you haven't picked it up, you know, get up to Zoom and you should be able to get a copy still. So don't pay traders a penny and uh, make them stew on that. But uh, yeah, really exciting year 2020 is going to be for Kaiju releases. Uh, obviously, Arrow, we know they put out really nice sets. So obviously having them do a Gamera set would be really cool. Especially if they do a full collection, which I hope they do. Um, I think I don't have a price point for that at the moment. So I would advise, you know, just start saving your Christmas money and doing your chores and stop piling your, your funds because, you know, when that that drops it's gonna be one of those sets that do a very limited run much like we saw with like battles throughout honor and humanity and uh then you know that be it it you have to hope that it goes on some streaming service after that so i think if you're if you're a fan then definitely that's gonna be one to pick up so yeah i i, I will be there for that one even though i did i didn't go for the godzilla set. What's, what is it about the gamma set that appeals to you more is it uh, well it depends what films are in it okay right <laughs> but obviously we did what's the one we did we did, we did the, um, of the new, new gamma yeah so that 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 set of three i really love okay um that there's there's a certain i don't know there's a certain there's a certain something that the fact i mean some of it's nonsense with like psychic connections to giant turtles and and the whole 
jet flying stuff that's <laughs> crap but there's 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 the sense of the gamma is a monster that's and, and we're not necessarily in his head you know we just see the sort of the human the 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 effects he has on the human world, or she has. Is Gamma a man or a woman? It's a male. It is a male. Yeah. How do you know that? Have you sexed it? Can you sex a turtle? I don't because know. Because um, when they yeah, say, th- he's a friend to all children on Earth, then it kind of establishes who he is. That, that, that's true. All right, you win. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's that. I think it's the fact that, that it's, it's, he's a force of nature. and um, But, of course, they are just th- they're just like the, 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 the sort of reboot of Gamma, aren't they? They're... <laughs> So it depends what Arrow put together. On the other hand, um, they haven't let me down so far. In fact, I'm waiting for my Vengeance Trilogy box set to turn up tomorrow. So, uh, Are you actually, How many times have you bought the Vengeance Trilogy now? Well, to be fair, I've only got them all on old um, Hong Kong releases. So You didn't old... even buy like the um, Tartan releases? I didn't buy Tartan releases. Oh, no, I got, I, got, I got them all from... Um, I got them all from Hong Kong at, uh, back in the day, um, and I saw they did the old boy one. I had that yeah. on pre-order, and then suddenly I noticed, hang on a minute, for, for, for not much more, I can get the other two films as well on Blu-ray, <laughs> um, and so I cancelled it, and I've been sitting there thinking, oh my god, I wish I hadn't, and is it going to, you know, terrified that it was going to be cancelled or something like that, but it has been dispatched, so uh, yeah, Um and so this will be yeah, this will be my first time in high definition as well. So that'll be cool. Certainly, certainly for the latter two films, I'm not a huge fan of sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, but the other two films I love. Yeah, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is uh, it's an odd one. There's there's moments where I really like, and then other bits of it just seem like a little awkward. But no, Lady Vengeance is is my favourite, and then it's obviously Old Boy, and then uh, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is third, but. I think as a trilogy, it's a really interesting trilogy, and certainly one that set Park Chan Wook on the map for a lot of people. Um, mm. Even though it didn't really sort of define who he is as a director, yes, he makes violence look very pretty, but at the same time, he's done many other interesting works, such as like you know, I'm a cyborg, but I'm okay, and Joint Security Area, which are very different movies to what we see with the Vengeance trilogy. So. Handmaiden, yeah, absolutely. I still to watch Handmaiden. You know, I got that, and I've still it's just sat. Didn't in you get that for Christmas of, last year? Something like that. And it's just... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm, I have mixed feelings about the Handmaiden. It, it's a different sort of film, absolutely. You know, sort of a period. Um, well, I don't want to ruin it for you. Actually, but it's not the film you think it is. <laughs> it's. Um... It's yeah, it's a period film, but but some stuff happens in it because it's um, based off the book Fingersmith, who was by the same author of Tipping the Velvet. Which you know, if you've known about Tipping the Velvet, you probably know what to expect from Fingersmith. So Uh, there's just definitely an amount of lesbian content. I'm not going to avoid that. And um, if you ever wondered what it was like to be the object of Cunnilingus, you will find that out as well. Um, (laughs) But um, actually, that's not that's not the bit that. That, that was weirdest for me. I mean, yeah, if, if you know the story of Fingersmith, you'll know that it's really a bit of a sort of caper crime film, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's good. Um, I wasn't wholly sold on it, but um, fantastic, fantastic performance by a young actress in it as well. Yeah, you should watch that. If I have to, I'll make it one of our movies early next year to force you to do it. I've already started, like... I started putting together the list, which is always a worrying thing, because when you put the list together, you just want to watch everything but what's on the list. 
Oh, um, that's always my way. I have um, I have a little pile that I put next to my TV of the films I want to watch next. Yeah. And what that means is they're the ten films I'm not going to be watching for the next six months because <laughs> because oh there'll be always be something else. I don't want to go in the pile today. I want to watch something off this or off that. And yeah, um, there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a good handful. I've got Burning sitting there looking at me, which I must have had for six months, and that's probably the newest film on the pile. Burning <laughs> as in their burning. The Korean Korean burning, yeah. Oh, right, right, um, okay. And uh, Touch of Sin, which I think is something that we both, on both our to watch piles, isn't it? The yes, it is. Chinese, Chinese film. And, and, and yeah, so maybe that'll be my other New Year's resolution is don't watch anything else till you've watched your to watch pile. But that ain't going to happen either. <laughs> very true. Um, if anyone obviously wants to let us know what's in their watch pile and what they're hoping to. Uh, be crossing off the list before the end of 2020 or certainly what you're looking forward to uh, in, the, in the year ahead, please do let us know in the comments section. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter where, it, where we're at AC Film Club. You can also contact us on Instagram and uh, you can also check out our blog which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com uh, where you can find our complete archive as well as other fun reviews, mixtapes and other fun stuff on there as well. Um... But I think if there's nothing else that you want to talk about, shall we move on to tonight's film? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I think it's uh, as you said. It's time to move on to our tonight's feature feature presentation, which tonight is Naked Weapon. Okay, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about Naked Weapon, a Maggie Q fronted vehicle and released in 2002, directed by action choreographer Tony Ching, who is probably best known for the likes of uh, Chinese Ghost Story as well as the Swordsman movies. Um, certainly one of those names, while perhaps not like in the top tier of uh, when it comes to like naming sort of like favorite directors of uh from hong kong he is certainly a director of note there and he's even done work over over in the west uh with belly of the beast with steven seagal which is well you know forgettable uh but he's as i said he has uh done did the swordsman trilogy he did uh, chinese ghost story He's also done action choreography for like the likes of uh, Better Tomorrow 2, New Dragon Gate Inn, Shaolin Soccer, and Hero, um, as well as uh, venturing off into Bollywood uh, doing films like Karish, um, which I don't know if you've seen that, Stephen, because you tend to venture off into uh, I, my, my, Well, I've watched a handful of Indian films. I can honestly say, though, have I ever actually watched a Bollywood, proper Bollywood film from Mumbai with singing and dancing? Probably not. I sort of skirt around the other the other parts of India because, you know, I haven't got time for a three and a half hour film and I don't feel the urge to, to jump and dance into song every 30 minutes. But, um... Yeah, <laughs> but there, there is some good stuff there. Maybe another thing for us to explore one day is that there's more to Indian film than Bollywood, but hey-ho. Okay. Um, well, the film also features a script by Wang Jing and uh, stars 
uh, Maggie Q and Yo Wu. No, not the one who wrote Onryoko Flow. Uh, the other one. And uh, Daniel Wu. Making up an interesting cast, to say the least. Um, the film itself sees Daniel Wu's FBI... Sorry, he's a CIA agent called Jack, who has been tracking a group of female assassins, which they've come to call the China Dolls. Um, at the same time, we've got Maggie Q's character, who is one of these assassins, who was taken as a young girl, um, along with her friend Kat um, and the rival assassin Jing, here played by Jewel Lee they're raised from raised uh, through this sort of grueling six years of training for taking as kidnapped as children and turned into female assassins and then sort of set to sort of carry out Madame Wu's missions for, for them uh, Madame Wu played by Eamon Wong and it's uh, through these missions that uh, Jack sort of gets crossed up with Charlene and uh, the two sort of embark on this uh, sort of problematic romance of sorts. Um, now, Stephen, I mean, this is obviously one of your picks. It's kind of uh, an interesting movie. Is it's kind of cat-free, kind of more traditional kung fu movie. It sort of skirts the two, as certainly you could put it in the likes of alongside the likes you know naked killer and body weapon um at the same time it's got a little more it doesn't go quite as far as those movies so what is it about uh naked weapon that uh, made you want us to discuss it this evening well <laughs> i'm not saying it's a good film at all um actually so, so it's a cat 2b actually so it, it, it it's it, it's just it's just shy of a cat 3 i think what it was was i wanted to sort of just have a have something in our in our army that talked about produced by the hands of um wong jing as you mentioned who is frankly sort of a towering colossus over hong kong cinema from the early 80s until today um, mostly in production but sometimes directing and i'm sure and writing as well basically pumping out in various ways hundreds of films of which there are you know there are some films which are, are quite good and there are some films with which are you know they they you know certain people's careers behind the camera in front of the camera being made by them but to me this is this is quintessential Wong Jing stuff. It's trying to recapture lightning in a bottle from, um, as you mentioned, Naked Killer. Is that it? Like the, the Ching Mai Yao one? Yeah. Um, from a couple of years before, which was a big hit, but Sleazian was probably the film that you hoped I was going to pick. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little more interesting than this. But what this is, it's also representative of what I think is the end of of that golden age of Hong Kong cinema, that early 2000s, where lots of things were better. So the quality of film is better. The film stock is better. You know, this, this looks like a glossy 90s TV. TV show, um, even though it's made in 2002, it looks it looks way better than um, films from even even a year or two before. It's got somebody in Maggie Q who actually made the jump from being a model to being a 
actress in a sleazy film like this to actually having a career, at least a TV career, over in the United States. I think she's like Vietnamese, isn't she? I can't, I can't remember where she's actually from. Uh, she's, yeah, she's from Hawaii originally. Okay. Her mother is from Vietnam. Her father is a American. He was stationed over at Vietnam when he met her and brought uh, her back to America. Um, but yeah, she's from Hawaii. She left Hawaii to try a hand at modeling in Hong Kong. She tried uh, Malaysia and Thailand. Um, I want to say Thailand, but uh, she ended up in, in Hong Kong and she was sort of attracted to the attention of Jackie Chan, who sort of brought her in and, you know, gave her some sort of grounding doing the martial arts and teaching her how to do stunt work. And she, at this point, she had no clue about how to do anything about martial arts. She, By her own admission, she couldn't even touch her toes when she started training with Jackie Chan and through there it sort of like led her into projects you know such as like Jim White Cops and and obviously into doing this one before she returned to the States and did things such as like Die Hard 4 and <laughs> Mission Impossible um, 3 so then TV shows like uh, La Femme Nikita yeah. and oh there was that one last year or year before I can't remember what it's called where there was some Jack Bauer type for Sutherland role going on at the same time which was which was kind of interesting where he was the president and uh, I can't remember what it was called Destiny but anyway Survivor. that's right okay. she in the... yeah, I've not she seen was... her I've just seen yeah, her she, she's, she, 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 she's, she's in that and um, you know she, she's, a, she's a fairly interesting screen presence um, but this this is you know this, again this is this is the thing about Wong Jing you know he he, he, he produces some, some of the great Stephen Chow films he creates stars like this it's also got Daniel Wu in it again which is another face people might know because he's had um he's had um, um, this is not a uh, showcase for his acting ability unfortunately it's one of the worst things he's ever done but um he's kind of interesting because he he's he's um from this newer school of um male actors um from in, in Hong Kong and mainland cinema um and this is like one of his first sort of big starring roles. He's got so much better over the years <laughs> um, to, to a sense he, he can even front up a, a Western a Western TV show now. Um, yeah, so he's it, it, doing Into the Badlands, I believe. That, that's right. So, you know, he, he's, the, he's the one of the main guys on that. Um, so I think it was just it's just it's just this light not lighting in a bottle, but this is sort of, this is period of time where Hong Kong cinema changed. It got a lot more flashy. It got that some of the stars were breaking through. We were no longer totally reliant on Jackie Chan or um, or any sort of the the, the, the heavenly kings the 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 the, 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 the of Cantopop fellas. Um, we no longer needed um, Jet Li. We no longer needed. Chow Yun Fat, you know, we had we had a new bunch of young 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 bucks that were coming over. Wong Jing's a link between it. However, with all that sort of good stuff going on, absolute tosh like this was coming out, as well, which is um, which it, it just kind of lost something. I mean, maybe we'll talk a bit more about the action choreography and stuff like that. But um, this is not a film that will impress i don't think many action fans okay because it's all static shots that are cut together it's like reading a comic book um there's a few moments where people can clearly do stuff but quite clearly lots of people can't do much more than jump around and there's lots of quick 
shots and it's it's fake <laughs> it's not real and there's some dreadful cgi in it in one element um yeah i wasn't i wasn't impressed by the action at all and you're going to tell me now that it's all brilliant and we're going to argue <laughs> that's always a great start to the conversation isn't it <laughs> um but yeah um obviously this is a probably falls more into my wheelhouse and is a little more lowbrow um but We've got to remember, I mean, Tony Ching, who's directing this, is a big fan of Luc Besson. And he even borrows many shots from Luc Besson's movie. I mean, not only is the setup exactly the same as Nikita, but he also borrows a, a shot from the finale of Leon as well to include in his film here. But the film itself, it's interesting, obviously, the fact that we've got uh, both Daniel Wu and Maggie Q. Both of them neither could um, were born in Hong Kong. They were both brought in and both brought under the sort of tutelage of Jackie Chan. I mean, Daniel Wu grew up being a huge fan of Jackie Chan and met him at a um, at a restaurant opening that he was at and sort of signed him to his talent agency. And through then, he sort of led in, into getting roles in the likes of Jim White Cops and Pebble Storm um, and formed like this real sort of interesting career, despite the fact he couldn't speak nor read Chinese and had his assistant basically read scripts for him I think he can actually read he can, he can do better now but uh, certainly when he started out and he was doing uh, films like back in 98 he couldn't at all so no which is which is kind of interesting like Jackie Chan actually can't speak English and he does it all phonetically so he's like the inverse of Jackie Chan isn't he <laughs> he's, having to, he's having to do um both Mandarin and Cantonese roles he, he's done, and he couldn't, as you write, as I understand it, he couldn't, he couldn't speak or understand a word of it. Yeah, um, and I think, is it Mandarin that's the lesser spoken one, isn't it? No, so Cantonese is what they speak in, yeah. um, or in Hong Kong, in Guangdong, uh, in, in that area. Um, Mandarin is spoken all over mainland okay. China. Because I know that uh, when they were making... Um... Crescent Tiger and Dragon that Michelle Yeoh she couldn't speak Cantonese and Cherry and Fat couldn't obviously speak Cantonese and Mandarin was basically doing helping her a lot of like the dialogue and the translation and mm. things. So Yeah, so and, and, and Ang Lee will will be speaking a a dialect of Mandarin. So so, so Taiwanese is another because uh, he's from where's he, he is from Taiwan. He's from he? Taiwan, yeah. So so he he will speak Taiwanese, which is different language again to Mandarin, but they'll speak Mandarin. It's like um I guess in English he'd be like speaking English with a Geordie accent. So, <laughs> so you know it's it's a, you know we kind of think all these people all have a common a common language, and quite often that common language is English, bizarrely. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Cantonese is nothing like Mandarin. Um, now, yeah, this, I mean, this film, it's, there's a lot of wire work, there's some early CGI, which means it hasn't aged well, um, uh, but we open with this really cool scene where we've got a female assassin called Fiona here, played by Marriott Forsen, who enters into this mobster's guarded apartment suite, um, has sex with him and kills him by breaking his spine with spare hands before doing a really cool trick with a shotgun and blowing away his bodyguards. Really awesome opening sequence, and you can see it in the in the trailer there, but just how she flips that shotgun is so damn cool. Uh, but yeah, she basically tries to make her escape and is blown up by one of the gangster's goons. Um, at the same time, the two CIA agents who have been sort of handling, been acting as Jack's handlers and, you know, basically berating him uh, while they perv on on uh, Fiona as she does her thing um, are also gunned down so 
Jack is uh, immediately launched into the the case to try and find out who these mysterious, you know, hot assassins are. Um, at the same time, Madame M is starting her new sort of training regime, and this is provides us with the first of the film's problem in the fact that the timeline is just awful for this film. We have it's supposed to be in this period where six years pass, but nobody ever ages. So Jack remains looking exactly the same, and the only thing that changes is his suit. Uh, but we're supposed to believe that, you know, Charlene and Kat and Jing, they've grown up over the course of six years and gone from being little girls into fully-fledged killers. Um, we'll just focus a bit on their, their sort of journey because it's really kind of cool. It's kind of like a throwback to, like, a Zoomy and stuff and the fact that they're going through all these different sort of challenges. And Madame M, she runs this this sort of private island where her goons are more than happy to shoot young girls who try and run away and we find if the girls try to escape they end up dead as we find out when the only British girls in the cast get suddenly eliminated so thanks for that um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah they go through this whole training regime and as they get older we see them do all the usual things that we saw with like in the villainess and we see in Nikita where they're like learning how to do makeup and do model walks so that you know they're beautiful and deadly and they're uh, doing weapon training and we get to the end of the training and Madame M basically starts eliminating the numbers by saying you know you've got to kill the girl next to you and we have a really cool bunkhouse fight from there we get a the final 10 girls are then whittled down further as they're basically forced to fight to the death in a cage. So, again, kind of uh, a Zoomy style. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's riffing on... It's, it's quite a common thing, I guess, in genre cinema, that, that sort of that training school, that charm school approach. Yeah. Um, and we'll see it again next year in the Black Widow film, no doubt. Um, it's you know it, it, it uh, we we could each probably name five or six movies that have this idea in it. Um, it just yeah, it just to me it just makes no fucking sense. Okay, <laughs> that, that gets us explicit straight away. So are we saying? Because I don't understand this, but I was reading other people's reviews. So yeah. at the, the, the the first, so you're absolutely right. The opening the opening sequence is really good. I mean, you excuse the sort of the videotape. Video, uh, visuals and Dutch angles and all that stuff, which is um, which probably the rest of the film it's in there as well. But that, that's that's pretty cool. Are we saying that she lost her only assassin, and then she spent the next six years trying to make another one, or does she have these all over the place? Or <laughs> I mean, I mean, has she not had any assassination work for six years? Because it takes her six years to make a new one, which does kind of presume that she's going to have a success at the end, <laughs> and 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 that the the ones that are good at fighting and shit, which are going to be the ones that are going to survive her um her routines, are also the sexy ones as well. I mean, this this seems like a really for someone whose business is assassinating the rich and powerful and also crime bosses as it says in one sequence yeah. <laughs> um, um this seems like a really bad business plan because the the the, the investments are and the time you're not earning and the chances of success all seem fairly slim but then maybe i'm just being a bit critical on madam madam m or madam Wu, whatever she's called well she seems right from the start we see that um that she's very sort of picky of the girls that she brings in they're all sort of like girls that are already established fighters like we see like charlene's got like the 
the martial arts trophies uh, when we see like the fascist to her, her mother's apartment and then we get the little voiceover flashback where she's like oh I want to learn martial arts so I can defend you because you know she's that good little girl like that and then we see Kat who's obviously in Thailand and she's like boxing for money uh, because it means that she gets to avoid the questionable intentions of the male promoters if she's a she's a fighter so that's why she said that she's like gone from being the one who cleaned the ring to the one who fights in the ring so all these girls sort of have this background in fighting of some sort so that's so establishes them the fact that they all end up these beautiful model types i guess we're supposed to believe is part of the charm school approach um uh yeah yeah absolutely uh, the fact they're called china dolls and then most of them there aren't even chinese yeah but, i know that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> there just seems it just this just seems to be a really bad business model where she's not earning any money for six <laughs> years um I don't, I, you know, and, and maybe there are other islands. Oh, oh, this, oh, this island is two hundred miles away from anywhere else. You can see another. You can see other islands <laughs> with your eyes. I mean, this whole this whole thing just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> and then if I can't suspend my disbelief, um, I, I'm struggling. But you know, absolutely, the, the stuff you know, the stuff which is robbed from other films, like the you know the 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 Azumi kill the person next to you, the um, the whole charm school thing, the the, the, it, it, it's all absolutely fine it just feels like they've not thought it through properly well she does say that you know when when the she narrows it down to the final three obviously Shalai and Kat and Jing who they basically reach a stalemate in their in their cage fight to the death she's like you know I'm going to break my own rules and hire all three of you as my assassins and she's doing like their graduation dinner and it's oh. like, you make millions of dollars doing hits around the world. So, you know, you've got to imagine that the money she's making from these assassins, it, you know, it forms a fair amount of interest. Oh, no, I, I don't I don't deny there's not a lot of work. It's just that she hasn't been able to do one for six years. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the bit that I don't get. Yeah, right? it's... Uh, and... and, 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 and... I, you know, if if it was established, maybe that she was, you know, she was she was running multiple multiples of these. Yeah. Because um, that, 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 that's the feel I had. The feel I had is you no, know, that initial girl was one of them, and and I don't think the trail had gone cold for six years. I think there had been others as well. I just don't think it's um. It's, oh, lots of twelve-year-old girls are going missing. You know, all the time. Or yeah. did it just happen once? It just it just doesn't feel very. And some. Maybe some of it's lost in translation, maybe, I, but I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it's. I mean, it's. This is. I mean, while it's. I'm obviously all fully with this film. I mean, it's really fun sort of fight sort of sequences and and that we see throughout and the sort of real sort of standard which you can measure fight sequences by is that the closer the camera has to be to the action the less skilled the performer is so we get lots of long wide angled shots here especially during the K sequence where we have like female fighters going hell for leather there is a lot of wire work here which means that you have characters suspending themselves for an inordinate amount of times in midair um and before that we obviously before even we have like these fights to the death we have the girls being hunted by this platoon of soldiers that have been sent in and apparently these soldiers are so well trained they can't see someone like sitting in a tree but not, <laughs> not like upping the canopy we're talking just like hanging off the trunk of the tree which apparently she's about is, like, five foot up the tree <laughs> <laughs> which apparently is like the most cunning disguise if you ever need one 
But it was really cool. That was so amazing what you did there. <laughs> That's what the character says to her. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, with the girls, they're showing the like their skills. So they're able to like improvise, and we see like a girl like you know she breaks the sunglasses of one of these soldiers and stabs him in the head, and it's really cool stuff. Um, and then we get to this graduation dinner. We've got the final three girls, and this is where I have like the major sort of. Uh, uh, nagging point of the film which starts me making like a, a fully big recommendation because we have the girls basically drugged and then raped in this gang rape sequence which in one hand kind of makes sense in the fact that these girls are being trained to like you know remove themselves from the body so they can use their body and their beauty um, as as a weapon and as Madame M says the greatest weapon because it allows them to get close to their targets uh, but at the same time it just felt like you know it's just a very gratuitous sequence and kind of yeah. reminiscent of like Bruno Matai's SS girls where you've got like the trainee spy girls having sex with like the weird hunchback man and all these other horrible things that they're sort of going through to sort of like train them for their job they're going to be as uh when they go to like work in the in the brothel so these girls being raped by is uh really sort of you know it's a really unneeded sequence and it's very gratuitous and goes on a lot longer than it needs to so and it's classic Wong Jing so this is a man who who you know made films called Raped by an Angel one through many. Uh, I mean, the, again, we've spoken about this before. The uh, Hong Kong cinema, in particular,'s approach to sexual violence is a little different to the norms that we're used to. <laughs> yeah, it's and, a little and, 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 and it, it is, and it doesn't. In this, you're at, you know, it feels gratuitous. It feels out of place. It, it, it it's I, I, you get what they're trying to say. Um, but it doesn't make a lot of sense um, with what they're trying to get the women to do. <laughs> it might have been better for them to, I don't know, to be made could, better at having sex rather than they could have cut dra- it. Dra- drugging them. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's um, unnecessary. Um, other than, you know, because everything else, I guess, uh, Maggie Q's characters, when she meets Daniel Wu's character, she does say, oh, you're a really nice guy, as if she, it's the first nice guy she's ever met. And that is probably true, because all the other people she's been killing have been celebrities and crime bosses. <laughs> but, uh... That's true. And her only boyfriend that, that she says about is some is the 12-year-old boy that uh, she used to ride her bike home from school with in a kind of quaint little flashback sequence. Yeah, but um, yeah, this, 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 this that 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 bit you could easily do without. But it's indicative of of, of Hong Kong cinema at the time, and yeah. especially Mister Wong Jing. He he seems to find great humour and drama in in something like that. And you know, we're social justice warriors. I am, but <laughs> it's it's difficult to to stomach. Yeah, I mean, raping film is it's very difficult to to do, and if you're going to do it, you have to use it right. Um, such so as you look at films like Irreversible, for example, where a rape is sort of like the key catalyst for the for the whole film, and it's a horrible thing that leads to 
it depends what way you watch the film, I suppose. But you know, it's a, it's a horrible act which leads to horrible acts. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and much like you, I mean, you can look at like the Death Wish movies, and uh, mm. Michael Winnicott was actually questioning, sort of like, why are you showing rape in such a way on film? So because it's a disgusting and horrible act, and it needs to be shown as a disgusting and horrible act. Um, and I think that's obviously lost them I mean, in the fact he was doing this in the Death Wish movie, so they kind of got lost. I think much like this film, it's sort of like, I don't think there was any sort of outcries for the rape sequence in this film because of the sort of movie it is. It's, you know, it's disposable action trash to a lot of people. Indeed. And, and you know, and and far from unique in in its uh, in 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 the sort of in the film in the films that it's it's part of you know it's, yeah uh... um but i mean once we get that sequence out of the way you know it's back to the girls carrying out assassination missions and just you know wall to wall action as we see them carrying out assassinations in spain uh on a particular crime boss who has a little midget doing security checks which seemed more funny than it probably should have been Again, <laughs> another not unusual thing in cinema of the time. You know? Not just Wang Wang, there are others, you know. <laughs> but every crime boss needs a midget. That's that. That's the rules. <laughs> Apparently so. Um, but yeah, they basically they go on this, and we get a really. I mean, it's during the when this sort of mission goes kind of astray that. It descends into some really cool um, heroic gunplay action, and we get, as I said, we get that uh, scene that has been lifted rather literally from uh, Leon, um, as uh, Charlene's uh, forced to make an escape while Cat holds off the bad guys. And it, I actually thought we were going to lose her character at that point. It's really kind of well staged. Mm. Um, so it's kind of kind of cool the way that uh, they do that, and again, how that just that whole sequence really plays out. I think that. It, Tony Ching really has this sort of like an eye for doing sort of bombastic action. It's not designed to be the most sort of artistic, so we're not sort of like looking at Credit Style and Dragon Style, but at the same time, it's got that Luke Besson sort of flow to it, and perhaps in a way, perhaps to a lesser extent, uh, sort of hints of um, elements of the sort of like John Wu and Ringo Lam to it as well, so. I mean, did you find heroic gunplay more exciting than the kung fu sequences? Because I know that you were kind of down on those. So, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think that. I just think the the kung fu sequences were awfully staged. But um, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was like a flip book. Okay. Like, oh, scene, 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 scene. You know, it was fast editing, and it made it look like people were doing things, but I don't think they really were. I'm all right with wild work. I'm fine with that. Yeah, the 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 when we got around the shooty and running around bits, that was that was better done. Um, like well believable is pushing it a bit but <laughs> of all the aspects of the film i think the the gunplay side of it was better done than either the martial arts or the romance but we haven't got onto that yet yeah because i mean once we get <laughs> once we uh get this we we go on a mission to hong kong and it's here that charlene runs into her long-lost mother uh, played by Chang Pei Pei. Woohoo for her second appearance in this show. <laughs> I know. Let's not forget, I mean, the Golden Swallow herself. And and you know, when we were obviously talking about Iron Fist and Kung Fu Kicks, she um, as is one of the interview subjects in that documentary where she talks about Golden Swallow and they show um, her photographs from her from back when she was a dancer. Mm. She has not lost a step, that lady. No. <laughs> I mean, I just. 
it's quite it's quite yeah it's, it's it's um i think that's possibly why i came to this movie in the first place when i first saw it <laughs> what, I, I, what the appeal of seeing chang pei pei in in this movie as, as, as an old person yeah well, she's, she's not that old she's She's like Tina Turner. She's an ageless beauty. Chang Pei Pei she, is. She, 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 she is. I mean, let's be careful what we're saying. But yes, she has. She's held it. She's preserved very well. And uh, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of nice because that's like a link back to, to to previous things. But yes, so Daniel Wu finds her. And... I know, and I mean, we should also point out the fact that Daniel Wu and Maggie Q were actually dating at the time. Indeed, they were. Yes, which um, is. Um, Makes you wonder how one of them got the role. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying here? I'm just saying it might have been easy to find one or the other. Yeah. You... <laughs> <laughs> what well, is Daniel there? <laughs> Can you pass the phone over? <laughs> <laughs> could you read? Could you read this script phonetically? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, basically the two are, are thrown together, and. Uh, for for a hired assassin, it has to be said that Charlene's the decision to hide in the Magnum ice cream van probably not the best. <laughs> it is it is the second worst decision of being a uh, of a hired assassin that she makes in this film. But we'll get to her her, her next one in a minute because hopefully you know what it is. So so yeah, we get. The tedious scene of Jack and Charlene in the Magnum ice cream van where they're basically being frozen and find that romantic connection because he can't hold his arm up too long because it's frozen solid. <laughs> Let's snuggle together like Eskimos. <laughs> it's painful to watch the romantic elements of this film. But it only gets better. <laughs> I have to say that at this point we realise that Jack... Despite being a CIA agent, isn't a very good CIA agent because he goes to spy on, spy on Charlene's mother, hoping that Charlene's going to show up again. And of course she does, but not before Jack leaps over wall and manages to lose his gun. I know, but this is my favourite bit. This is this is super high. It's, it's so 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 super assassin Maggie Q. Comes in to save the day, and, he, and she's hasn't bought her gun either. <laughs> she should be glued to her leg, surely. <laughs> she says that she's come to see her mother, so she wouldn't need to bring her gun. She wasn't expecting for Jing to turn up and try and kill her mother. <laughs> yeah, but come on. <laughs> it should be noted that Jing, again, also a professional assassin, can't tell the difference between a gun and a mobile phone pressed to her back. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think I think you're joining my view of the film as it goes on. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm I'm having just I just was having so much fun with this movie. It's just the romantic elements of it are so stupid. Oh, they 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 really are. Um, so, so so this 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 sort of this fight is is also probably the worst fight of it. This is when they bring in the um, the early two thousand second rate CGI. Um, with the glass gets thrown and oh god, it's just. It, it, but but to be fair, at the time it probably looked a lot better. Um, it's easy to criticise something from fifteen odd years ago, um, which was probably filmed on a tiny budget for 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 not having great CGI. I'm sure there's plenty of other things we could laugh at, but um, yeah, it just doesn't hold up very well. 
I don't know what's worse here, the, the CGI or the, the summary on Wikipedia that says, Jack tries to fend her off, but he is no match for her. Is there a novelization line that is? <laughs> yeah, he's no match for anybody really in the entire film. So, you know, after having his ass handed to him, Jack engages in a romantic sequence with uh, with Charlene, where the two get engaged in some adult situations on the beach. Um, well, I was sure he had a shirt removed, but when he, when we cut to like the next day, and he's asleep on the beach. He sorry, he's asleep in a puddle on the beach. He seems to have his shirt back on, which means that he got dressed, then fell asleep in the ocean. Right. Okay. So let, let's let's roll back a bit because you've missed you've missed a couple of key things. Here. Okay. So so firstly, she's been drugged with an aphrodisiac. Oh God, yes. Yeah. For for some reason, he stumbles across her at the beach. I think. Oh, did she call him? Or I don't know how he knows she's at the beach. I can't remember. It's the middle of the night. It'll be freezing in the sea, even in Hong Kong, right? They frolic around tops. He absolutely does take his top off. And then after having sea sex with their trousers on, he wakes up on his own, still in the sea, <laughs> but the tide's gone out of it, with the shirt back on, like you say. So basically, they must have had sex, put their clothes back on, but stayed in the water for, for <laughs> a post-coital call. It makes no freaking sense at all, and it just draws your attention to it. But the fact that, yeah... And, and, oh, and he goes through that internal struggle, doesn't he? Oh, this isn't right. We can't be doing this. So he throws her into the sea to try and sober her up. <laughs> and basically drowns her. <laughs> she but luckily, she's face down in the ocean. <laughs> but but then, then she wakes up and says, it's all right. And then they have, uh, it's not passionate sex, is it? They have very wet, cold. I can't, I can't think of a, you know, Maggie Q's a very attractive lady. But I, can't, I think I'd struggle to perform under that circumstance. <laughs> You see nudity. That's what you young kids want to know about. Yes, you see nudity. You'd be you happy. Get a, you get some boobs and you get Daniel Wu's topless as well. So, um, you know, something for everyone. In, in, indeed. Um, but it's a tr- tr- troubling. The whole, I just... <laughs> I don't understand any of this. Because... This is the, so we do need to pull back a bit. Because with 20 minutes to go in this film... <laughs> A, a new antagonist turns <laughs> <laughs> So up to now, Daniel's been chasing down these these this Madame M. She's the she's the she's the bad guy. Madame Wu, Madame M depends if you watch the subtitles of what they're saying. Yeah. It, it it changes. Because there's one guy that Maggie Q has killed that she then kills another guy who was his mate or his father. Was it his father? It's his mate. It's his um, mate. And yeah. then and then this guy who's apparently Japanese, although the actor's, I think, Chinese, I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter, Ryuchi or whatever his name is, comes up and says, oh, you killed my best friend, I'm now going to just piss on the rest of the plot, kidnaps and kills Madame Wu. (laughs) (laughs) So that wasn't hard, what the frick have the CIA been doing that long? (laughs) And then decides to capture capture one of the girls, pump Maggie Q through full of an aphrodisiac for some reason. That makes no sense. And um and then invokes in a in a, uh, embarks on a fight with Maggie um after she's had her Daniel Wu sex um in a fight which is reminiscent of a 2002 Dreamcast computer game like Dead or Alive or something because that's how it was filmed like to me. <laughs> and it's just 
<laughs> but um, Just, yeah. yeah, Ray Uchi is um, Hong Kong actor um, Andrew Lim, who you probably remember from like Infernal Affairs two. He was in uh, Man with the Iron Fish one and two, uh, where he played Jamino Mail. Uh, so he's you know he's been around, but here he's playing a yakuza boss because that makes absolute perfect sense, you know, despite the fact he's not Japanese. Um, but you know, let's put that all to the side. So yeah, basically he's he's now the new antagonist that Shalene has to has to defeat, and he uh, basically after she's finished uh, carrying on with being carrying on with uh, with da- with with uh, her CIA agent Toy Boy, um, she goes off to rescue Cat, who is uh, at this point been strung up like a marionette by the uh, Ryuchi, who suddenly becomes psychotic. So first of all, he's a scheme, he's a scheming yakuza boss who's super intelligent, and sets up this amazing scheme, and now he's just an absolute psychopath. As we see him string up like a marionette, and he's sort of like, oh yeah, I'll give you a chance to say goodbye, and then wanders off. And then reappears and like cuts a, a head off, which is uh, simplified by you know blood flying at the at the glass, which is you know kind of cool. But basically, just only serves to set up this final fight scene. As you said, it's very you know Tekken esque uh, fight is. scene between right uh, is, and right Uchi. It is. It is. There's a, there's a, you know there's a lot of wild work. There's a there's a there's a there's an attempt to be a bit Matrixy, isn't there? But they can't quite do. They don't got enough money or cameras to do bullet time, so they. They sort of do it. Um, it's it, it's fine. It's just stupid, and, <laughs> and I cannot and I cannot stress more. This this whole sequence starts twenty minutes before the end of the movie. <laughs> it just just it's like oh oh everyone else is left. Let's just introduce somebody else and just go. It, it doesn't come from absolutely nowhere. So that all that six years of training, all that whole story about Madame Wu and her China dolls is just dealt with off camera. <laughs> by somebody brand new <laughs> and it gets worse but carry on sir so yeah they have the final fight scene and basically we have the you know the final parting moment between, between Jack and uh, Faye and uh, basically you know Charlene goes off to do her thing and uh, Jack goes off to do his thing so it was all a complete waste of time with them so like, again, again, why can't they be together? Because she, she, he's yeah. irritating as sin, and she can do better. I, I mean, yeah, but, <laughs> but 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 there's this whole thing like, oh yeah, they, they just meet each other at the um at the temple. Another moment of oh, somebody else was here five seconds ago with exactly the same um, fortune as you. Oh, she's left. Anyway, they can't be together because <laughs> Madame Wu's gone. All the all the other people she was on the island with are dead. She literally has nothing to worry about. She could, I'm sure, with his CIA connections, which also sometimes he says in the in the subtitles say that he's a federal agent, which is not what a CIA person is. But let's um let's not touch that one. <laughs> but there's no reason they can't be together. So basically, he go he's, he's off for a life of chastity for no good reason. <laughs> it's just. Oh, they're just making it up as they go along. It's mental. So, and that uh, obviously is Naked uh, naked Weapon, a fantastically fun romp of kung fu action and slight sleaze. Uh, you get to you get to see uh, hot chicks kick a lot of ass, and uh, we get some interesting CGI and 
you know, intense characterization along the way. But I think it, for myself, it was a fun ride. It's a four star watch for myself. I'm sure that Stephen's going to go and just really wheel over this in a minute and tell me it's something completely different. But uh, yeah, I mean, I personally really enjoyed it. I thought it was a uh, was fun, and uh, it's got a couple of flaws along the way. But of this sort of genre of you know that low end cat free sort of martial arts sort of thrillers it's uh it's got it's one of the better fun ones but steven uh, yeah i mean obviously i picked this film knowing full well i didn't like it <laughs> but but you know if if you exclude the fact that whole scenes have been lifted from other movies um and you take away that 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 rape thing which which we've obviously spent far too long talking about anyway yeah. um and you accept it as a piece of cinema for them. It's absolutely fine. You know, it, it, we can't say we didn't have a laugh talking about it. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, and it's not—it's not the most horrendous film you'll ever see. It's got a certain amount of style. You know, Maggie Q's kind of fun, isn't she? Um, and 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 there's some other other things going on there which which make it kind of interesting. It's not as fun as the film it was trying to remake from 10 years before um sexy killer um but it's yeah it, it it's okay so it's it's a two two out of five star which is not the worst thing i've ever seen but um it's good for a, you know we can have a drinking game about it i'm sure about all the ridiculous shit that happens <laughs> oh i don't know it, it's 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 fine but uh yeah, I, I wanted to bring it to our attention for historical reasons rather than saying it's a great film. Fair enough. It's uh, yeah, definitely one that's been was fun to uh, to look at certainly, and it's funny as well when you look at uh, when Maggie Q came over and she was doing like Nikita and that it was always like Hong Kong action star Maggie Q, and you're thinking, well, obviously nobody saw this movie then. Um, and you look at her filmography and there's not like those sort of big sort of standout films. I mean, yes, she was obviously a main uh, a main player over that. I mean, she took the name Maggie Q mainly because they couldn't uh, pronounce her surname Quigley. So that's why she became Maggie Q. I always wondered why, but there we go. Now we know. There we go. Um, yeah, I don't think she's like... When we like look at the sort of like the top echelon stars i think she's sort of like that that next tier down i mean yes she's very good and i'm very happy to see her when she's on the screen and certainly she's really good here uh but i just don't think she's like on the same level you know like a chang pei pei or michelle yo um or anita wong those sorts of uh the sort of top tier uh female stars that we've obviously talked about in the past so no she's not she's she, she's tv show good isn't she um but and, and but she's in, you know she's got an interesting sort of Eurasian look to her, uh, and there aren't that many Eurasians that will come across, which has probably helped her um, succeed in America. Um, certainly as a TV star, but you know she's she's not a she's not an exciting action star. There aren't a lot of exciting uh, interest. You know, like you can look at someone like Shu Kui, who um, maybe come from a bit of a dodgy past, but has also got some serious films behind her as well as the sexy films and this one you know, Maggie Q does get her boobs out in this um and puts potentially some other films as well but there's nothing there's nothing there's no um oh and she did this really good film with this really great 
Taiwanese director. None of that with Maggie Q. Not, <laughs> she hasn't got that sort of for her films that she was doing, like in the Hong Kong system. No, she hasn't got that that sort of standout art house picture or the sort no. of standout sort of standout action picture. It's just sort of like a lot of. It's sort of a lot of fodder there for like genre fans. So if you're a fan of like Hong Kong cinema, there's stuff that you would have you would have come across. But for like the sort of more commercial sort of audience, she hasn't really quite got that that one title there that the other one no. other actresses have. And it's sort of when she comes across to Hollywood uh, that she starts getting those roles. So she said she does like Die Hard Four and she does uh, Mission Impossible Three, and she just she actually sort of stands out there. And it's kind of ironic that. For a film where she's like basically playing Nikita, that she would end up taking on the role in Nikita when they did the reboot uh, in the states as well, which I never actually saw more than the first season of. So I, I saw a couple couple of episodes here and there. Yeah, I remember getting really upset that with her love interest, it's like I just felt that she could do better, so that's why I stopped watching it. <laughs> yeah, that happens quite a lot in those films, in those sort of TV shows of that age. So, uh, further watching though, what do you want to pair this with? Because there are a few obvious choices, but yeah. So I've picked a couple um, from in or around this time, um, both Hong Kong films. I don't know if you're going to pick the same ones. I wonder about one of them. Anyway, so the first one is from this year, the same year, two thousand and two, um, which is a film called So Close. Um, Directed by um, Corey U.M., so another famous um, action choreographer, and this time it's got Xu Kui and Wei Zhao, who people will know from Shaolin Soccer, and Karen Mok, who we remember from the King of Cookery. God of Cookery? God of Cookery. Yeah. Um, um, a kind of similar sort of thing. This The three sexy female super assassin agent people that are on the screen a lot and it's put together in a very stylish and way but it's a little um uh, it's got quite a lot more going for it it's a film i prefer but um i was reading other reviews of it and other people don't agree so much but yeah it, it, it it's similar but less exploitative um and I think it's got quite a good look to it. And then a couple of years later, it's another film starring Daniel Wu in his um, very slow process to actually becoming a proper and respected star. It's a Jackie Chan movie. It's New Police Story, um, which I think is a reboot rather than a sequel to the original Police Story movies. Um, the character may have the same name. I can't remember. I'm not too sure it's meant to be the same guy or not. Um, but again, it's of this time. It's this flashy video age reboot of it. It's still got some cool special effects and some cool stunts going on in there. Um, it's got Nick Che, who's always good value. Daniel Wu is... Uh, yeah, un- unfortunately, it also um, is enamoured by that extreme sports kind of thing which was going on at this time as well and, <laughs> and yeah and Daniel Wu was, oh god but anyway I think it's a lot of fun it's a better movie than this one but um it's not as good as Police Story but I, th- I think I think all three of them are, 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 are of a time and a place in Hong Kong cinema that maybe it was about to die but they, they've all got something going for it how about yourself sir 
Uh, for myself, I mean, obviously the most obvious one would be for you to go and check out Naked Killer, which we talked about in the previous episode, being that one VHS they always had behind the counter that you were too embarrassed to uh, ask for, but it had the really cool cover. Um, at the same field, I mean, you can obviously go with Body Weapon as well, which is, you know, it's very much the same. It's, you know, hot chicks and, uh, <sighs> and seduction, assassination. It's, you know, it's basically does what it says on the tin uh there's also lethal uh angels from 2006 uh with hsn10 and carrie yin uh which is pretty good and there's also the korean maroon siri i want to say it is shiri shiri yeah um uh, with with, um with the girl from lost (laughs) which is one of those tartan extreme releases that we kind of got lost um um, in the sort of shuffle, it was no. It, when we uh, obviously think about the Tartan Asia uh, extreme label, sort of subsection of uh, Tartan media, uh, you always like go to like you know Audition and Battle Royale and Dead or Alive, the, you know the Takashi Miike movies, the Pachi movies that were brought across, and you forget that they had like those uh, those movies such as like Nowhere to Hide uh, that that uh, sort of made it under the branding there, and that that was one of the ones that. Uh, they sort of came under that, that sort of heading there, but still falls in the same sort of uh, heading there. You know, cop who's got assassination, uh, assassin girlfriend, and which way is she going to go? Is she going to carry out the hit, or is love going to win out? Yeah, it's... um, Shuri's a funny film. Um, It was a huge success in South Korea. I mean, like, like nothing had, had done before it. Um, and did, as you say, okay, I'm pretty certain Tartan chucked a DVD of it out our yep. way um, it's from 1999 um, I'm not the biggest fan of it but yes it's it's got that chick from Lost um, uh, Kim Yun Jin um, who everyone will remember from Lost um, it's also got Choi Min Sik and it's got um, Song Kang Ho in it I mean it's got a whole bunch of people in it that we will recognise from other films that, that we have seen um, and it was a massive success Um but yeah, very much in this in this vein. She's uh, she not a North Korean um, agent? Does it end at a football match? Doesn't it? I remember now. Yes, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the list because I wouldn't want to revisit. And I remember postage before, and it's like, yeah, I don't like that movie. And then that yeah. was the last we talked about it. So yeah, it's it. I think it's one we. I think it's one that's worth a revisit actually. Okay. But um, because it's got because I uh, it's it's one of the first Korean films I ever saw, and I don't think it, I really dug it. But maybe now, knowing who all these people are, <laughs> they may be. I may be more interested in it. Uh, well, that's obviously our thoughts on Naked Weapon. Uh, you can find it is was a release through through Hong Kong Legends, uh, but I believe it is still pretty easy to get hold of now. Um, coming up on the next episode it is, of course, time for our yearly tradition that is Kaiju Christmas, and we've been asking you good folks to vote in our poll which is on our website to let us know which movie we were going to be watching um it should also be mentioned as well that on our facebook and instagram and twitter we are currently running the countdown to christmas with kaiju so every day you get a new kaiju monster and a little bit of history there uh, for you to enjoy and uh you voted and we listened and this year you have voted for us to watch mothra so we are going to be talking about the Toho classic 
featuring one of the ancient guardians of the earth and a character who has been renowned for being extremely popular with uh, female audiences as well as being having that sort of unique streak of being one of the rare female monsters as well within the kaiju uh, universe so it's going to be interesting i mean have you seen mothra is this the original 1961 mothra yes, the original standalone her uh, doing her thing no i haven't but i'm excited to do so um so we will be talking about that on our next episode and uh Seeing uh, what Stephen makes of it, because uh, it presents the character in a very different light than we've seen from her other appearances in the Godzilla verse, um, and certainly in the Rebirth uh, series as well, it's different from that again, so it'd be interesting to see what you make of a film featuring, well, a giant moth. So, has, it got, uh, has, it got, has it got the two little singing girls? It does. Oh, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's all coming up on the next episode uh, we hope you as always you've enjoyed listening and uh, if you have done please do hit the like and subscribe buttons and you know follow us on Facebook and Twitter uh, on Twitter of course we're at AC Film Club you can find us on Instagram and you can also check out our full archive which is on asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com um, as well and you've got some other great writing on there as well including uh, David Brooker giving his thoughts on the whole of uh, the Criterion Godzilla collection as well so it's uh, definitely worth giving a look to that as well um, but uh, thank you as always for listening, thank you to my co-host Stephen pleasure as always and uh, we'll be back next time um, delivering our final episode of the year as we celebrate Kaiju Christmas and uh, talk about Mothra, so good night. Kino